Hello, this is Leela Viss, and welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm the host of Key Ideas. This podcast empowers piano teachers to unlock the transformative power of music in their students and shift from a mindset of survival to one of revival. I'd say today's guest is a poster child for how one survives and revives a musical career in an isolated corner of the world. Today's episode is part one of two that weaves a tale, a tale of a piano teacher with superpowers in a rugged yet breathtakingly beautiful island far, far away. Her incredible story and magnetic vibe will draw you in and may even cast a spell. Grab your sneakers and earbuds and get ready for the unforgettable adventures of a superwoman named Linda. Linda with a Y, not just from Alaska, but un-Alaska. Linda Liebeck Robinson is an accomplished teacher, pianist, composer, singer, songwriter, and arranger. For most of the past 25 years, she has lived in Unalaska, Alaska, an Aleutian Island village in the Bering Sea. 800 miles from the nearest city. Linda has taught piano and composition to students of all ages there since 1996. She's the founder and president of the Hearts and Hands Project, a nonprofit organization that gives annual music mentor scholarships to Aleutian Island students who serve as music mentors and inspirations to their island community. The organization also hosted visiting performers and clinicians to the island community, which has no regular live music. As a singer-songwriter, Linda has recorded four CDs, including two that celebrate the area's indigenous Aleut language in a contemporary format. Linda earned her B.A. in music at Linville College, with an emphasis on classical piano performance and composition. She has performed and toured internationally, including concerts in Turkey, Norway, Japan, and France. She's an active member of MTNA and continues to inspire students with her compositions. Two of her pieces have been selected as featured solo work for the NFMC selection. Now here's Leela with Linda. Welcome, Linda with a Y. It's so nice to have you here with me today. Thank you for chatting with me. Oh, it's so nice to be here, Leela. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, to meet, you are a superwoman. You are a superwoman thriving in a land far, far away. (laughs) And this is a brutal, rugged, yet beautiful land that keeps you isolated from the rest of the world. So how does this isolation and struggle, that um, does it give you pause just a moment? And, And do you think it does give you the superpowers that I seem to see in you? Wow. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) necessity is the mother of invention, you know? (laughs) Um, I think sometimes when we're squeezed to the point where uh, everything that is familiar is not there, um, we have to reach and um, we have to reach out and find um, things to hold on to. And as I was thinking about this the other day, uh, I realized that I don't think I ever would have been a photographer. Had I not desperately needed something to keep me sane, you know, on my end, mm-hmm. um, being separated from the rest of the world in many ways does make us reach in and figure out something that's going to make us stay sane. And I have a lot of energy. And so I have found a lot of things I wasn't realizing that I would love. 
And that's why I wanted you on the podcast, because I feel like you can be an inspiration to so many piano teachers who we've all gone through a pandemic tunnel and we've all we're now seeing the light but you from day one as 25 years ago already you've been through an a period of isolation and powered through and seen the light and so i think you're just such an excellent role model for us and like i said a superpower for us to be uh to be following in your foot and um, we want to follow in your footsteps so we want to know all about you linda <laughs> Well, you know, um, I hope I've got this right. Was it Schumann that lived way out in the middle of the country and was sort of separated from everything? Um, and I uh, was talking with my own music mentor, my piano professor from college, Jill Timmons, and I was concerned that being so separated from colleagues and uh, the city and all of those things, um, that it would um, make me... Uh, less capable as a teacher because I had, didn't have the connections. Mm. I didn't have the fellowship, so to speak, with other teachers. And she was the one who said that she believed it was because of his isolation that he became so creative. Mm. And that was, he didn't have, in, in, in the discussion we had in her, sort of her interpretation, um, that he didn't, he was able to completely focus on what his own voice was because he was so isolated and whether or not that's entirely true doesn't really matter because I took that to heart and that was years ago. And that has helped me so much over the years. Mm -hmm. I should write her a letter sometime and tell her that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Um, there yeah. is, there are studies that show that when you're bored, that's when creativity strikes and you know, that isolation, I think, is the same way. And you seem to dig deeper when you're by yourself. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about your career path. There's so many ways we could go with this episode. And so, first of all, your, your destination of your career. Let's go there first. And then we'll go to your final destination of Unalaska. Not just Alaska, but Unalaska. I love it. So let's go uh, through your career path first. Walk us through. Um, way back in 1968 yeah. or whatever it was, <laughs> um, my grandfather gave my mother his upright winter piano. And um, we had a piano player, a uh, pianist at the church named Corky Pricer, who bounced when she played the piano. She had so much fun. I grew up in a Baptist church and she just looked like she was having so much fun. And I used to watch her and mom asked her if she would teach me piano lessons. She did not want to have any piano students. She wasn't interested in teaching, but she liked my mom. So she took me on as a piano student and she taught me how to make hymns fun. So from the very beginning, without realizing that this would have any significance on the rest of my life, I had a teacher that pulled out the old Baptist hymnal and maybe because she was bored, <laughs> said, let's jazz these up. Oh. And so I think from the very beginning, learning four part harmony, learning form and learning how to improvise on something that was um, beautifully written, but, you know, familiar very vertical. Was able to <laughs> to to expand that. Um, my uncle Tom came to live with us from Vietnam. Uh, he came straight from the war and came to stay with us for a while. And he was the one who 
he was my first probably crush, you know, I was just a little girl and he was so lively and he would sit down at the piano and play. And he taught me the stingers, you know, at the end of the song. So I'd play something very seriously. And then he would come up and teach me, but I'm, bum bum and added that sort of the glee and the delight to the playing. Well, as I grew up, I learned, I was playing in church when I was a child. I was playing for choir in school. By the time I was, I believe, 11, I was playing for the school choir. I mean, it was probably one or two pieces. I'm sure I wasn't the full-time pianist. Uh, we moved around the country quite a bit as I was a teenager. By the time I was 16, I was in a class um, learning how to write orchestra arrangements um, in Los Angeles. An uh, incredible teacher named Bruce Callell. And then we moved to Oregon and I was... Uh, auditioning for the very well-established jazz choir in the area and then arranging choral pieces for them and uh, going to festivals. And it sort of took off. I wanted to be a choral arranger and composer by the time I was 17. I was a singer songwriter. I was of course caught up in love every other week and writing <laughs> songs. I wanted to be Amy Grant. Oh, um, yes. You know, didn't we all want to be Amy? Oh, Grant? definitely. <laughs> um, I went to um, uh, to Western Washington University and told them I wanted to major in music, and I had no idea what that meant. I thought that meant <laughs> I could be. And they said, "Can you play your scales?" And I I couldn't play my scales. And remember, I had moved all over the country, so my dear Corky Pricer was way in my past. And um, they said, "Well, what kind of repertoire do you have?" And I. <laughs> I had, had, you've got a friend, I had Elton John. And so they said, here's some material, something from each period. If you can play it by the end of the semester, we'll let you in the program. So I went into the library, I put the headphones on and I, did, I thought I was cheating. I mean, not that I would be a cheater, but I, I, I didn't know that it, I, I thought maybe it wasn't okay. I wasn't sure, but I was desperate. So when I couldn't use the practice rooms, I went into the library, put the headphones on, and I would play along on the table with my fingertips to, I played a Schumann, I played a uh, Schubert, I played a Bach, um, and I had these three little pieces and went into audition at the end of the semester. And I remember the jury sitting forward and one of them was laughing and they said, you didn't have to memorize them. So I was admitted into the program. <laughs> Successfully, but um, you know, my life has been sort of a stream of um, connected yet disconnected events, um, and I've sort of bounced along with it because I did not finish my degree at Linfield or at Western. I went one year at Western, and then I was accepted into a group called Up with People. Mm. And Up with People, I traveled around the world. I was in the band. I was a singer and dancer, and we uh, had this incredible experience for a year. Uh, traveling to South America, doing the Super Bowl halftime, came back to Oregon where my family was situated, and I ended up going to Linfield College. Linfield had a wonderful music program. I wanted to be an international business major because by then I was speaking, I was studying Japanese and Spanish. Um, and um, but Jill Timmons was there, and I fell in love with um the music, I fell in love with the idea that I could, that I had a possibility that I could do this. Mm. I wrote music for the choir. And the long story short is that it took me 10, 15 years to get through Linfield because I worked my way through college playing music. 
Mm. And I was very proud of the fact that I had a Linfield College degree. Um, it was not traditional. I don't have the pedigree that a lot of my friends have, but I'm so proud of the degree. I'm so proud I worked my way through it. Um, and I had the experience that I did. I took pedagogy classes. I arranged for the choir. I took lessons from Dr. Jill Timmons, who gave me the love of classical music. Uh, even though that I didn't take that as my full career path, it, it, it affected me profoundly. Um, by the time I was um, in my late 30s, I had um, been up in Dutch Harbor. I had studied or I had started the Aleutian Islands first piano studio. I was just up here for a 10 week gig um, in 1996. Uh, and again, I was just working my way. I'd finished my college. I did my thesis. I was up in Dutch Harbor. I was just going to be here for 10 weeks. It was rough. It was dirty. It was wild. It was something else. And um, <laughs> I, I had been, um, by that point in my career, I had been doing concerts, playing my own materials. I'd recorded a few CDs. I'd learned what it was to make a couple thousand dollars to play for an hour in front of people. And that was super cool. Mm -hmm. But in 1996, I saw myself on a TV interview. And I, I just remember wanting to throw my snacks at the TV going, oh, my gosh, who is this person? She's so self-centered and she's who is she I was so focused on my uh, image and what people thought of me and my career and my you know at, at the time my glamour or whatever it was I got off track and I went I I I didn't like what I saw I didn't like who I was seeing it was I was so superficial um I wanted so much to be um well, I was still young. I said, again, I wanted to be that Amy Grant. I wanted to be yes. thing. I wanted, I wanted the attention, but I didn't like how that looked on me. Mm. And my agent said, um, I've got a gig for you in Dutch Harbor. Now I had turned this offer down so many times because it wasn't glamorous. And Dutch Harbor, by the way, is Unalaska. Okay. Thank you. Um, I was just going to ask, where is Dutch Harbor? Yeah, it's Unalaska. Um, but people they, it's a, it's a sort of, they also call it Dutch Harbor. And I, I thought, okay, that's where I need to go. I need to get real. I need to peel mm. off the layer. I need to go to this place that's so dirty and so remote um, and just have to be real. And so um, ironically, my best friend in the world is jazz singer had come up here, come back. And she said, Lynn, you have to go. So I said, this is it. I'm going to Dutch Harbor. So I went up came to Dutch Harbor, played at the Grand Illusion Hotel, surrounded by fishermen. And my 10-week contract was extended to 15 weeks. And next thing you know, I'm hitchhiking from house to house during the day and teaching piano lessons because they needed a piano teacher on the island. Uh, and guess what? Guess what? Uh, I knew how to take, I knew how to teach piano because I, um, I had taught my way through, I had used it as a side job instead of babysitting as a teenager. I had taught piano lessons to kids when I was in college just for a little extra cash. Yeah. So I thought, well, I could do this. And so I hitchhiked from house to house to teach piano lessons. And after I um, extended my contract at the hotel a few more times, one of the, the city magistrate came up and she said, we see you in town. We've been watching you and we've got a place for you to rent if you want. We have mm. the perfect place for you. It was a breath. 
And so I moved in. I ended up staying two years and started the island's first piano studio in a closet with a piano loaned to me by the high school. They had an extra one. And we started recitals at the school. And it was fantastic. We got all dressed up. The parents would order dresses on not, we didn't have online. Oh, yeah. They'd like the catalog or they'd have grandma send them a dress or a suit mm-hmm. for their boy. Because I never grew up with recitals, but I thought, well, let's just do recitals. So I didn't have a format. I didn't have a preconceived idea of what a recital should be. But I, I knew from uh, the juries at school. Uh, I knew to, you know, the kids would get dressed up and we'd have the bow at the beginning. We'd play, we'd announce our pieces. And it was a wonderful beginning. Well, 1996 to 1998 were really where we drew the roots here. But being in Dutch Harbor on Alaska and being single and being 35 was not my gig. After a while, I realized um, I was lonely and I didn't want it was a hard life. And I, I didn't, you know, I came from a life where people grew up and went to college and got married and had careers and had these really, you know, my, my, my family, they're engineers and they're teachers and they're, you know, we accountants, you know, yes, typical. there's always a very, a very, you know, typical arranged lives. And here I was the black sheep. I thought of the family kind of bouncing around all over the place. So Long story short, I left on Alaska, and in 2002, the Aleutian Arts Council um, hired me to come up and do a concert um, because um, one of the community members said, we really miss Linda. We want her to come back and teach piano. And so um, one of my former students came up and said, please, you know, I came up to do my concert. And I was meeting with a bunch of women and one of them said, please come and stay. We just miss you. We need you to teach our children piano lessons again. And I said, Rufina, I can't live here and be single. I just can't. So she brought her brother to my concert, hoping I would marry him and stay. (laughs) Okay. Can I just say something a minute here? There's so many things that I'd love to jump in and say, but I want to hear the rest (laughs) of your story. But it's interesting. This was not Linda going up to Dutch Harbor and falling in love with a man or a man falling in love no. with her. This was all about a township, a community falling in love with Linda. Oh, wow. it is, it's a love story, but it's not about you and a man until, well, wait for it. I'm sure it's coming, but it's fascinating. <laughs> you know, usually it's love of something that will get us somewhere, but it's really unusual for a community to fall in love with a person. Wow. Well, I, 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 I've never thought of it that way. I've never. <laughs> But it, it, yeah. it, she did say, would you, yeah. And I, I so she brought her brother, hoping it would stay. He was, oh, so handsome. <laughs> and okay. That's good. <laughs> that helps at least. I was, um, I was almost 40 years old and, um, she brought him into the concert. He was very, very handsome. And they were kind of, I was playing the piano and they were kind of pointing at him like, you know, <laughs> and he took me out to dinner and and that was it um he followed me back down to uh washington where at the time i was living and he um he wouldn't leave until i would accept his proposal of <gasps> marriage <laughs> so, so um whoa okay so I, you had an, um, you, said, wait a minute you had an arranged marriage an illusion arranged marriage oh, really oh, yes 
Yes, I did. (laughs) And were there no prior pursuiters of yours at all? Weren't I I would imagine that men would be following you around wherever you went. So this is very fascinating that it was one man and one proposal, and wow, that's it. Well, when I had lived here before, there were a lot of fishermen and captains. You know, we're up here in up here in Unalaska Dutch Harbor. The odds are good. The kids are all... So, so um, um, you know, I in, in between, you know, I, yeah, there there were proposals, and um, there was, you know, uh, yeah, life, life happened. Okay, but life anyway, happened. back back to the proposal that counted, right? Yes, the proposal that counted. Um, and so I um, made contact with some of my friends here in Unalaska, and I said, I'm going to marry Dennis Robinson. And next thing I know, my phone is ringing off the hook. I had 15 students waiting for me before I even returned to Dutch Harbor. Whoa. So, yeah. So I, I suppose I use the word Dutch Harbor and Unalaska interchangeably. So okay. um, Unalaska is this city. Um, people on in the media and in TV, they think of this as Dutch Harbor because that's the name of the airport and that's what the deadliest catch oh. calls it. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So Good to know. So Unalaska is the name of the city, but it's, it goes yes. by Dutch Harbor. Okay. Thank you. And that now, okay. Um, that's a new trend for piano teachers to consider is marry the right man in town and you will gain 15 piano students. Immediately. <laughs> Just try it. Money back guarantee. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Back to getting married. Yeah. That's how I came. That's how I came back to Unalaska Dutch Harbor. I was back here in, in uh, two months and a year to the day that we met, almost to the day, our first son Liam was born, and I was mm. forty-one, almost forty-one years old. Okay, let's just let's just put a side note here because when I see you, I'm talking to you over Zoom. And uh, you still look 41. I mean, maybe even 29. So, wow, that's amazing. I'm, I'm turning 60 this year. So, so mm. it's, it's, uh, it's, I know it's, it's, well, we're about the same age, I think almost, aren't we? Um, I'm, I'm following behind you, but not, not far behind. So, mm-hmm. okay. So I think, you know, between the ages of 50 and 70, I think we all just kind of, we're Everybody's the same. Anyway, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. So, um, so I can't. Yes, our sons uh, Liam and Tristan were born a year and two years later. I was forty-one and forty-two when I had my two children. It was not planned. Um, I took one look at him and boom, I was. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it so, happens. Um, when I when I returned to the island, uh, the the piano studio that I had started was a little closet that had been sort of taken over by a wonderful Russian woman who took on piano students just because she was a kind and loving person, Mm -hmm. not because she wanted to. And as soon as she heard I was coming back, she said, I'm having a baby. I'm out of here. Here's your piano studio. And she, um, she, she handed it over to me. I had my studio, all of the little children's pictures were still on the wall that Mm -hmm. I had put. And uh, that was back in 2002. So, I, so that was it. I mean, I was here and, you know, busy having babies and running the studio. The recitals immediately were uh, resumed. Um, they were uh, quite an affair. It was like, we don't have a lot of 
reason to dress up and go formal here. And so uh, mm. every year our, our spring recitals became, they would wear their prom dresses to the recitals. Mm. It was and the boys would wear suits. It was, um, and the television station came out and it was um, every Christmas and spring would be the special on television. It would be the Christmas special and the spring special mm. on the local television station. And that is, um, you know, we just sort of made it happen. It was not just me. It was you, as you pointed out, it was the community as well. It was the school that supported me. It was individuals at the community center that supported me. And as we progressed, um, you know, about 10 years ago, the community center did a multi-million dollar renovation. And in that was a huge music room with vaulted mm. ceilings and professional practice rooms. And mm. Dennis and I donated our um, grand piano at uh, 1947 Kanabi to the, um, the, the new beautiful room. And that's when we bought our disclavier. Mm. Um, Let me pause. Let me pause just a second because this seems like a village of fishermen and yet there's a community center, a multi-million dollar community center that values Linda and the arts and music making and people dress up to come to your recitals. So tell me about that community. Um, our community is the number one fishing port in the United States in terms of, I believe in terms of volume. Um, I think the Northeast and Maine, maybe in terms of money coming in, but we're, we're head to head. And so we have um, being one of the most significant fishing ports in the world. We have uh, an industry that is supported by fishing and by shipping because we're in a critical part in, in the geography of, you know, the world. Um, and so the community is made up of, of uh, not just fishermen. I mean, the fishermen come here to visit, but mostly they live in the lower 48. Uh, the people who lived here, uh, live here are the people that run the sort of run the machine that is mm-hmm. on Alaska Dutch Harbor. It's a, one of the highest per capita income in, um, in the country, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean, I mean, I'm living you know, our houses aren't big and fancy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we, our expenses are very high. Um, but there's a lot of money that comes in and in and out of our community, um, in the shipping industry and the fishing industry. And, um, there was some in the tourist industry that's really been hurt. Um, or, um, when I say tourists, uh, it's just people stopping over. We don't have coffee shops. We don't have mm-hmm. gift shops. You know, people say, oh, can I come and stay in a bed and breakfast and go shopping in the, in the trendy little, little places? No. No. no, we've got Safeway. <laughs> no. You've got a community. We've center. got a grocery store. Yeah. We are. Yeah. And that's something that people have been in awe of when they come because yeah. the, we have a wonderful, um, the Coast Guard does um, come here and uh, they're in port much of the time and um, they use the community center um, I, I can't say enough about what I've, my experience with the Coast Guard and, mm. you know, in the wintertime, um, el- you know, people finding that their, their porches have been shoveled and, you know, mm. uh, elders taken care of. And what's, anyway, so we've got a thriving community. Yeah. What's interesting about the story is the fact that you didn't have to, what, beg your way for piano students. They came to you. So the families that are there see the value in music, which is stunning to me when it's all about sportsmen and fishing and, you know, all the outdoor activities. So that's striking to me. Um, I think it is too. Um, I, it, it's a little different in, 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 
that we don't have festivals. We don't have other teachers to compare with. We have parents who say um, uh, two thirds of our population is English as second language. So mostly Filipino and Vietnamese um, from all over the world. Most of my students Uh are from a Filipino background. Um, I don't, I haven't really thought about what it is right now because it changes, but, um, and these, you know, the people come up and they just say, um, I always wanted piano lessons and we couldn't afford it. And so this is what we want, Mm -hmm. but they don't say you must, you must provide an education for my child that is an award-winning, you know, experience. Um, they want their children to be able to play. I do have students, um, in the earlier years, I pushed, pushed them a lot harder, um, and I had one student who uh, was awarded, a, I think, a $30,000 music scholarship um, at Linfield, my alma mater, which was oh, amazing nice. um, with her music experience um, between her piano and her band experience. But, um, you know, our, our, the, the music has sort of evolved over the years and parents have changed. Mm-hmm. Parents, um, you know, coming and going, uh, even in the last probably 10 years, what I've noticed is that. Um, kid, students aren't as willing to put four hours of practice or three hours or practice till one in the morning. Um, basketball is very big here. We've, you know, scored very high in basketball champions, you know, many times for a tiny community. Um, and, and so um, I think that uh, as a teacher, who doesn't have the connection simply because of our location, you know, we can't take the kids to the festivals. I have had some children, some students, sorry, who have been gone on to play at regionals, you know, and been able to play and be judged, you know, when the band went to regionals, but I think they had to pay their own ticket Mm. unless they were in the band and a ticket from here to the mainland is a thousand dollars. So. Wow. And then from your stories on Facebook, which by the way, I was always going to tell you that, Congratulations on completely flipping your image because to me, you are a woman full of transparency and you don't strike me as one who is into yourself. So you did a great job of flipping that image way back when. So good, (laughs) good job on that. Well done. And so now tell us what it's been like. You've already been living in a very isolated community, but it's thriving and then COVID strikes. So tell us a little bit about how that impacted life in Unalaska, but also your piano studio. Um, COVID struck at a time where our island was um, going through some major um, heartbreaking catastrophes. Mm. And we lost four children in one year. Mm. And it Think about a community that has a graduating class every year of 25 to 30 kids to lose four teenagers in one year is unspeakable. Mm. Um, and so I had gone down, um, we, my son, um, it was a really good choice for my son to go to school in Oregon. Um, and these, these, these losses were all accidental. Mm. Um mm. They weren't, um, they were, you know, an avalanche, an accident, um, you know, a child lost in a storm. So um, it was really hard on the kids. And especially since it was um, my best friend's daughter and my mm. son and her friends, um, it was hard on the kids. 
Mm-hmm. And so my son um, was 16 at the time. And I thought it would be great for him to go live with grandma in Oregon and have a change of scenery. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, and it, and he, it was a lifesaver, you know, it was, it was good. Um, and so at, I went down to see him um, in March of 2020. And during that time, when I went to see him, um, I had, it, this is pre, this is pre COVID. Right. And it's just interesting how it all worked out. Um, I went to Oregon to be with Liam and to kind of just help him settle in or there was something. And anyway, I was down there and going online was something that we began right away. The thing is, that's really interesting is that we couldn't afford to go online. We can't afford it. $25 a gig. How can we afford it? Well, there's a young man in town. Who was a kid when I came here, but now he's got an internet company that serves more people in our community than even Telalaska or GCI. And he started this little company. And Emmett said, You guys, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you the internet. So each student that signs up for a piano lesson, go into my office and tell them what piano lesson you have, and I will grant you the internet for free. Uh. So I'm down in Oregon teaching piano lessons and my students are up here signing up for free internet from Emmett Fitch at Optimera. And we were able to start teaching piano lessons online before COVID even happened. Oh, okay. So you knew you were going to stay in Oregon for a while, but you really wanted to continue piano lessons. I planned to be there for a month. Uh, That was my, okay. I'm going to be here for a month. And so I'm coming down to Oregon and Emmett said, we got you. We got your back here. So, um, so we're teaching piano lessons online and then suddenly COVID happened and, um, I was already isolated. I was already teaching online and then our entire community of children were struggling because they had to close the school or what are they going to do? And this young man, Emmett donated free internet to every student in the school or oh so that they could study. This is a really amazing community. Mm. Um, So, but um, once COVID happened, they shut down the airlines and um, I couldn't even return home if I wanted to. Mm. So there were no planes that came home. I was stuck. I couldn't come home because uh, we had no way to get here. So I ended up for five months, I think in 2020. And, um, it's, uh, you know, we got used to teaching online by the end of the summer, we got back into teaching in person, uh, wearing masks. And we had a, had a screen that the community center built me a plexiglass wall that I could stand mm-hmm. behind. And we tried that for a while, but then, and that's when our community opened up again, but then because we have no hospital here, we have to be hyper vigilant. Mm-hmm. And the minute one person got COVID, the whole city shut down again. Mm. And I had already been the benefactor of so much from Optimera that I just could not ask him again. Mm -hmm. And so it was in January that I just said, uh, December, it was in, you know, that I just said, I have to close, I have to close up shop for right now. Mm. So, um, you know, it really hit hard. Um, 
The journey over the last couple of years, especially having a son in the lower 48, I did go down in January to help him get, not help him, help me. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he was, yeah. <laughs> I went down to Oregon to, to be near him in January. And um, I did go back online with a few of the students who could afford it. Um, but we really slowed to a crawl. Mm. Um, in the meantime, in the meantime, just a little to shed a little bit of a, a glimmery, twinkly light on this whole darkness of how we've handled this COVID. Um, I had written pieces for each one of the students while we were online. Now, this is something that was super fun is because um, we're unfamiliar with uh, all of the technology. I see all of these wonderful teachers with their great studios and their Zoom and their, we just don't have that. We yeah. don't, we have FaceTime. I mean, we don't, our families, we don't have down very, very few will do like piano maestro or, or okay. super score or any of the, okay. the apps because it's internet, it's mm-hmm. internet based. And I'll repeat again, it's either not going to work or it's $25 a gig. I mean, we mm-hmm. just don't have that. And when I was teaching the lessons, most of my kids were seeing me about two inches high on their phone. That's not very interactive. So something that worked for me, and we were talking about necessity being the mother of invention, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say, okay, CJ, I want you to pick three notes, any three notes. I don't care what they are. Now I've played this game for 25 years, but you know, this, we're going to resort to what works. And then I'd say, well, do you like this sound? Do you like, oh, I don't have my, I don't have my keyboards on, but I would, I would, I would play uh, their little motif until they liked it. I said, do you want it to be happy or sad? Do you want it to be fast or slow? What is it about? And then I would compose a little piece for them and it would by rote. Okay. Repeat this one after me. And they would repeat. And then we'd add a little to the motif and go back and forth. And then we talk a little bit about form. Well, now we have to, now we've said what we're going to say. Now we have to go to the relative minor or we can, you know, say it a little bit differently. Well, almost every single student had their own little piece. Mm. And by spring of last year, um, we did, um, I produced a a recital that the television station um, um, aired but it was all, I did the whole thing on iMovie with my students sending their videos in. Nice. Um, many of them played the pieces that I'd written for them. And then um, because of just the way craziness for life, for all of us, you know, it's hard to put a pinpoint ourselves on a calendar. I finally finished a collection of all of these pieces um, and even a couple more that I'd written to make sure everyone had a piece. And mm. I just, I guess you could say I self-published it. I don't know. I, you know, I. I transcribed it and I, I, you know, engraved it uh, with Sibelius is what I use. Okay. Printed it out. The library loaned, loaned me their binder and mm. um, I was able to present to each one of them a book uh, just this last week called Crossing the Distance, dedicated to all of my students who stuck with their piano lessons when COVID began. So, mm. so are we privy to seeing, hearing these pieces? Are they going to be? Uh, out open to the world at some point? Oh, yeah. Um, I, it's just a little, it's one of the things on my to-do list is to have our YouTube channel um, where you can hear the pieces. Yes. Um, and I do, I did upload some of the pieces onto Sheet Music Plus. Um, um, but uh, now that I did that, 
a few months ago, but now in the last month, I spent quite a few hours going through and editing. So what's up on Sheet Music Plus? I want to go back and replace them with uh, the, you know, without the typos. Um, so Sheet Music Plus has them, um, most of them. No, I think it has all of them. Well, by the time this is released, you may have them all finished because we'll release this a little bit later. Um, oh, coming um, so. yes. as a matter of fact, yes. In fact, what is planned on Sheet Music Plus is that they will be able to see the scores and hear samples of the scores on Sheet Music Plus in the next few weeks. Nice. Oh, that's exciting. What a, uh, yeah, I got tears in my eyes when it was called Crossing the Distance. That's like, mm, really good title and with so many meanings, multiple meanings. Wow. Okay. What a story. So now to give us context, you are back in your studio. I'm talking to you in on Alaska in Dutch Harbor. And are you currently teaching your students in person? Are you still online? What's going on now? Now I'm teaching in person. Okay. Generally speaking, we don't teach during, have lessons during the summer, but um, a few of my students who never take in the summer, now that I'm back, they're there. Nice. So yeah. Um, and we are teaching in person. Um, um, most of, well, almost everyone in our community has their has has been um, um, has has had their shots. So okay. um, yeah, yeah, it's we have really high um, bar when it comes to making sure that people are healthy here. Yeah. So I am teaching in person, and it's absolutely. It feels like you know. Leela, it's like I've had a year off, mm-hmm. really, with all this craziness. And when I began uh, with this new student, I have one of one of them is, is a, a sibling. My the siblings of all of my students are grandfathered in. They're immediately on the top of my waiting list. Right. That's just yeah. always been a pop. And um, I have a brand new student, and he didn't have any books with him because sister doesn't have them anymore. She's you know a teenager. And I said, Christopher, doesn't matter. What I had is I had written out some of the pieces that are pre-reading. And I thought, I'm just going to teach. We're going to learn the notes. But for right now, we are going to learn by rote. And of course, his very first piano lesson, he left flying because he learned how to play Spider-Man. And his sister is beaming because she is going to show him how the notes that he's playing match the up and down Nice. marks on the page in front of him so he's really lucky he's got he's got a mentor it's it's mm. uh, i can tell it's going to be good good situation with christopher um teaching in person it will be limited because most of our people leave for the summer um most people who live here have either homes or family in the lower 48 or in the philippines so it does get quiet here and that's okay um Teaching Christopher and Crystal yesterday, I felt like I was in a time warp. I felt like I was 25 years back. I felt fresh. I felt like I had all these new ideas. Um, and and when he didn't have his books, I was actually thrilled because <laughs> I I I'm excited to rethink the way I'm teaching mm. because the world has changed. The way students are has changed. My expectations have changed. We have to be prepared to go online. We have to be prepared to be flexible at any time. And so I want to teach them. This has always been my goal, but more than ever, I want them to teach them not to need me. Mm. 
Oh, yes. From day one. Independence. That's what I want. From, from day one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, um, and I do have, um, I, I, you know, I've always worked on that, but I think that more than ever, I want to bring out, you know, what they have to offer. I see myself as being um, really malleable. Um, and I think I look at my son who had to go to school in Oregon, who is now a commercial fisherman, mm. um, a dream of many an 18 year old boy. I'm yeah. telling you. Yes. Uh, fisherman. Um, and watching him over the last couple of years and seeing how his leadership and his creative skills uh, were honed here, mm. you know, um, that he, he is malleable. My children, you know, they can, they can be in an airport that shuts down and everybody's freaking out and my kids will just be, oh man, okay. Well. Yeah. Well, I just remember you would tell us stories on your way to a national conference and there'd be something like, oh, forgot my makeup bag or, oh, I'm stuck in somewhere. You always had a story. That's that's how I remember learning about you, first of all, is your story of getting to a national conference because it's never been easy and there's always no. been something. So it doesn't surprise me that your whole island is malleable. I mean, what else can you be? Yeah, we have to be. Oh, my favorite was when I was trying to get, I had a, a piece that was being debuted by Hal Leonard and I was so excited. I think it was I Spy. It was a, just a sheet. It wasn't one of my books. And the conferences with MTNA, and we should talk about that at some point, um, were like oxygen for me. My husband mm-hmm. has coined that term. Those are oxygen oh. for you. You have to go. <laughs> and um, But every time there was something, there was a blizzard, there was a breakdown, there was some reason why, and it takes me two days to get to these conferences. Yeah, And I'm not even going to tell you how much they cost to get there because, (laughs) well, I did tell you just to get off the island to the first airport is $1,000. So, um, and my favorite was when um, I had this stack of stories of getting to MTNA and I really needed to get to Texas. It was San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And... um, Everything was looking good. And then we had a volcano blue, a volcano. <laughs> now, what else could there possibly be? Oh, wait, we forgot. Volcanoes have to erupt for her to get to the conference. So um, my flight is scheduled for Tuesday. On Monday, the volcano blows. All the flights are shut down. And the next by the evening, now the wind starts blowing. The wind is blowing and now it's blowing 80 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, good, it's going to blow away all of the ash. So I'll be able to fly. So I went down to the airport and sure enough, they're canceling flights left and right and left and right. I left the airport and I, and they said, well, the next flight out is next Tuesday. Well, the conference is over by then. And I was just, my heart was so heavy and we, the wind is blowing and the volcano yeah. and everything is crazy. And head is just and the dropping. We leave ashes the are getting stuck in and your I, tears, probably. Ashes <laughs> stuck in my teeth and in my hair. <laughs> and that is a true fact that does happen. And I walk out of the airport. I'm just feeling so sad. And suddenly my husband says, do you hear that? What? He goes, an engine. He said, that's a cargo plane. The cargo planes will make it. So we go in, <laughs> we go into the office where the cargo plane is preparing to leave. And there happen to be 11 people standing there that are going to be shipped out on the cargo plane. And there's a man standing there 
And they said, we have one more seat, but we can't actually put you on this plane unless somebody contacts the FAA. And the one man goes, I have a friend in the FAA. We'll give him a call. (laughs) So they call this guy. They call the FAA. They get me a seat on their cargo. Now, this is an extra additional plane ticket, just so you know, right? so I'm sitting in the very back of a car in the very back of a cargo plane. I'm only five feet, three or four. My knees are up around my ears and I'm smiling ear to ear all the way to San Antonio. So oh. I made it. I made it. And that was my, uh, my favorite mishap. I think of all of them, you know, how things just come together. And I think that we, you know, things are going to happen. I, I see people all the time that are frustrated with things that happen. And we have to be open to the fact that there's going to be some crazy solution out there. And sometimes it's not going to be comfortable. You know, I, I know many people who go, I'm not going to go on a cargo plane. Well, then I'm just, then you're not going. You can feel sad if you want to, but there was a seat on a cargo plane, you know, next to a box full of fish. <laughs> so uh. we have to. Open to solutions, even if they're not what we're comfortable or familiar with. Of course, there's nothing that I'm uncomfortable with now. Nothing. No, no. And that's why I do call you a superwoman with superpowers. So, Linda, I think this is a good place to end our first episode because I want to hear, we all want to hear more from you. But let's call it for this episode. And then let's stay tuned for the next one where we talk a little bit more about, well, not just a little bit, but a little bit, let's dig into how your creativity as an artist is now transferred over to your piano students. Can we do a little bit of that yet? I would love that. Okay, cool. We'll be back. It was hard to push the pause button on Linda's fascinating story. Oh, I mean love story. Come back for part two and dive into how Linda's creative soul and spirit blossomed amidst stifling isolation and hardship, and how she guides budding composers and songwriters to do the same. You won't want to miss her insightful tips and nuggets of wisdom. Hey, before you leave, I'd greatly appreciate it if you leave a five-star review of Key Ideas. It really helps get the word out about the podcast to innovative piano teachers just like you. I'm Lee Levis, and see you in the trenches.